Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us on TV and those of, you, those of you who are joining us online, those especially who are part of the Bible Center family. Thank you for being with us uh, virtually. It's great to have you tuning in. It's also so good to have you who are joining us here in person uh, today. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of what the Lord is doing here. I um, want to also welcome those of you who may be new. If we've never yet had the privilege of meeting, I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor. I would love to meet you the next time we're able to uh, cross paths, and we pray God's blessings on your life. Last week, we launched into a new series entitled Crafted, and I had asked you to commit to going five for five in this new series. There's five messages, and so I had hoped that people would commit to going five for five, and I still hope you'll commit to going five for five, but in this election season and, and the tensions being what they are, I really believe that the Spirit led me this week uh, to preach a message about the political climate that we're in. And so if you came today uh, expecting this to be part of your five for five in the crafted series, you get a free pass. Uh, I trust that this message will still be a blessing to you, uh, but we're going to jump back into the series next week looking at God's overview of creation. But today the message is entitled, How to Thrive in a Political World. How to Thrive in a Political World. And as we jump into the message, I want to recommend a book to you. It's probably too late for you to get it unless you have it overnighted. Uh, but this is a great book for you, for you Kindle users. Before your vote, seven questions every Christian should ask. And even for those of you who may be watching, uh, listening to this message after Election Day, of course, we have no idea how long the season of conflict is going to carry on. But the principles in this book are good for all of us and how to engage in politics as believers. So I would encourage you to pick that book up. But why do I believe today's message is so important? Well, I think it's probably the, the most tense I have ever seen the political climate in my life. Now, I'm told that every year, every four years, when the presidential election comes around, people say this is the most important election in history. But it seems that this truly is one of the most tense, anxious-filled elections in most of our memories. The American Psychological Association recently posted an article about comparing the 2020 presidential election to the 2016 presidential election. And in the article, there's this chart. Uh, the top represents the 2020, the stress or anxiety over this presidential election versus four years ago. And we see that four years ago, it was about 50%, 52%. But now they say it's 68% of Americans say, say they're ex experiencing significant stress and anxiety over the election. Now, I found out this week that you can actually order a stress ball of your political uh, candidate's opponent. You can have it custom made uh, for your political candidate's opponent. You can squeeze the life out of it while you wait for the election results. I also read where one neuroscientist created what he calls a Prozac playlist for your iPod just to help you through the season. And on that list are, are artists like B.B. King, The Beach Boys, Bob Marley, and even uh, Tchaikovsky. 
So I ask the question today, do we Christians, is all the hope we have just in the beach boys or in stress balls? Or is there a better way for us to survive this political season? Better yet, is there a better way for us to thrive in this political season, in this political world? And of course, I'm convinced there is. I believe God's word teaches that there is a better way. And so today, the message is very, very simple. I'm going to give you one thing to remember and four things to do. One thing to remember and four things to do. Let's go ahead and jump in God's word and see what he has to say. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle, and I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Now, let's go ahead and jump into the main point. Today's main point, today's big idea is simply this. If we would, we would boil all that we just read down, I want to encourage you with this. No matter who becomes president, Jesus will always be king. No matter who becomes president, Jesus will always be king. Presidents come and go. Earthly kings come and go. Our history books are filled with them, but Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And though today it seems as though he rules in abstentia, there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No matter who becomes president, Jesus will always be king. Why is it so important that we remember that truth? Why do I want you to remember that on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday? Well, it's simple. In the text we just read, God says that this idea of God being in charge, Jesus being in control, is key to us living quiet and peaceable lives. It's also key for us to live godly and holy lives. And it's even key for us not to miss out on His mission for our lives. So whatever place that you take notes, or if you take mental notes, or if you're more of a, a visual learner, let's remember, no matter who becomes president, Jesus will always be king. Now, what are those four action steps? What are the four action steps that we can take from this text uh, to help us uh, survive, or more or less thrive, in this season? Well, number one, Pray for all people, including your government leaders. Pray for all people, including your government leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, 
for kings and all those in authority. This is the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to Pastor Timothy and the church there in Ephesus. And he says, Timothy, first of all, in other words, this was a matter of first importance for the Apostle Paul, and he wanted to address it first with Timothy. He says that there be supplications or petitions, prayers, and intercession. In the New Testament, there are at least seven different nouns, Greek nouns, for prayer, and four of them are used in this verse. Paul isn't emphasizing different kinds of prayers, but Paul is doing what we often do in English. Paul was using similar words and repeating them for emphasis. So the purpose of this verse is for us not to break this down and say, well, Now you're praying a petition kind of prayer, and then next you're praying a prayer kind of prayer, and then you're praying an intercession kind of prayer. But Paul's doing what a football coach might do to a player. If a football coach says, run, hustle, fight, well, that football player doesn't stop and say, okay, now I'm running. Okay, wait a minute. Now I need to hustle. Okay, wait a minute. Now I need to fight. But he just, he's stringing this list of words together to encourage the player to go for it. And here in this passage, the Apostle Paul is stringing a list of words together, inspired words, telling us to go for it in prayer, to specifically pray for our government leaders. He says in this passage to pray for all people first. So he's literally calling us to pray for all kinds of people The divisive false teachers in Ephesus were evidently suggesting that some people were more important than others. But Paul urges the church and urges Timothy to lead the church to pray for all people, no matter their rank or their race or their demographic or their social status or their political party. And just for emphasis, not only are we to pray for all people, but he says, pray for kings and all those in authority. Let me ask you a question today, just like I had to ask myself this question. Do you pray for our president? Do you pray for our president? Did you pray for the previous president? Do you plan to pray for the future presidents, no matter who he or she may be? God calls us, whether we agree with them or not, whether we voted for them or not, God calls us to be people of prayer. Let's be a church that prays for not only for our president, but prays for our governor, who who prays for our senators, who prays for our, our representatives, who prays for our state senators and state delegates. Let's be a church who prays for our mayor. Let's be a church who prays for our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members. Let's pray in our church groups Let's pray in our friend groups. I love it when our pastors and leaders are out and about in the city praying for, especially with and for government leaders. Now, we've made the policy here at our church that we as pastors won't go and and pray at a specific uh, campaign rally because sometimes those things can often be used as a show of support. But we will pray for any elected official, with any elected official. It is a joy for us to do that. Imagine how our lives would be different if we prayed for people who weren't like us.
Imagine how our lives would be different if we prayed for people with a different skin color than us, with a, from a different political party than us, from a different faith than us, uh, has, who have a different view of the Bible than us. Let's pray for all people, including our government leaders. Number two, number two, thank God for all your blessings, including your government leaders. Thank God for all your blessings, including your government leaders. Now, the first one was pretty easy for us to accept. This one's a little harder, so I would encourage you to bear with me. Look with me back at verses 1 and 2. It's the same passage about prayer. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those who are in authority. The same people that God commands us to pray for, He also commands us to thank Him for. He invites us to thank Him for all kinds of people, even the kings and for those who are in authority. Now, we can step back for a minute and thank the Lord for government itself. When we read Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, we learn that government has two specific functions. And that is to promote good and restrain evil. To promote good and restrain or punish evil. Those are the two functions of government, according to Romans 13. I am so thankful to live in a country where though it's far from perfect, and many say it's getting worse every day, I'm still thankful this morning that I did not wake up in a state like North Korea. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that I have the freedom to worship the Lord with you and with you and for us to broadcast this message of the gospel freely. I'm thankful that we live in a constitutional republic. To be accurate, let us not say that we live in a democratic republic, for actually we live in a constitutional republic. We are under the authority, not of a king, but under the authority of the United States Constitution. Here in West Virginia, we're under the authority of the West Virginia State Constitution. I am so thankful for government. But here he says, don't just be thankful for government, be thankful for specific kings. You say, Matt, but what about the bad kings? What about the bad presidents? What about the president that I don't want to call my president? What about those? Well, think about the significance of this verse for the Apostle Paul in the Ephesian church. Think about the person who was their king. According to history, at the time of this letter, Nero was emperor of Rome. He had already enacted terrible persecution of Christians because they refused to say that he, Nero, was king of kings and lord of lords. They would pay their taxes and they were good citizens, but because Jesus said that he is king of kings and lord of lords, they refused to bow to Nero and to say that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Again, great citizens, but they wouldn't acknowledge him as God. And so Nero had them slaughtered. This is the king that God said, thank him for. Even in some way that we don't understand, God invites us to thank him for being sovereign over every earthly king. 
I would encourage you that no matter the results of the election, whenever you're watching this, it's possible that it may take days or weeks for us to fully know who wins, especially the presidential election. But I would encourage you, whenever you're watching this, take a moment and thank God. Just thank God, knowing that He is working His purposes out in the world. You say, Matt, that's, that's hard. It is hard. You say, that's radical. Well, it's, it may seem radical, but actually it's Christian. It's just what it means to live under a heavenly kingdom. This world is not our home. We're, we're just passing through, at least the world as it is today. Number two, thank God for all blessings, including government leaders. Number three, number three, show your family and friends what Jesus really looks like. Show your family and friends what Jesus really looks like. Now, again, we're talking about how to thrive in a political season, not just survive. So more than ever right now, we have an opportunity, with the holidays approaching us, to show our family and friends what Jesus really looks like. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 says, Live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. You say, what does peaceful and quiet mean? Some of us long for peace and quiet, especially if you have little children around the home. What does it mean? Well, first, it means that we're to pray for our leaders who have the ability to bring about peace to our lives. Actually, government, government leaders, government authority has the opportunity to be a very nice umbrella for the church for the propagation of the gospel. During the thousand-year Pax Romana, the Roman peace, roads were built and trade routes were established that literally paved the way for the gospel to spread quickly. So it's for our own good that our government be stable and that our country be preserved from civil war and anarchy. But even though we can see that on the national level, God invites us individually to live peaceful and quiet lives. If you're taking notes, the word peaceful, it means tranquil. It actually refers to an, an outward, free from outward disturbance. Free from outward disturbance. The word quiet has more of an inward connotation, and it refers to stillness that is usually inward, an inward restfulness. So if you put the two together, essentially what God is saying is that through the gospel and through the knowledge that Jesus is king, no matter who is president, we can have peace both inwardly and outwardly no matter what's happening in the world. Here's a scene that some of you would love to go to. Some of us would love to visit. I have no idea where this is or who this is. But when I saw this picture, it just looked peaceful. So think about you in a hammock. You just kick your feet up. You're in a hammock. You know, there's that moment where you realize there's no more buzzing phones. There's no more cars. There's no more planes. There's no more traffic. No more TV, it's just quiet outwardly. 
And then it takes you a little while. Sometimes on vacation, it takes several days. But it might take you a few minutes in the hammock to just to be at peace inwardly as well. When God put these two words together, he's describing this kind of a life, not that we kick our feet up and don't do any work, but he's saying that no matter what's happening around us, through the gospel, he offers us an outward peace and an inward peace. I'll ask you a question about the election. Throughout this process, have you allowed the election to disturb you in any way? Have you allowed the election to create uh, more stress in your life? Life is hard enough with or without an election, but how have, how have your coworkers perceived you? How have your children, your grandchildren perceived you? How have your friends seen you throughout the election? God invites us into peacefulness and quietness, knowing that he is in control. But then the verse continues. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 2 and 3, he says, not only live peaceful and quiet lives, but also live lives in all godliness and holiness. That's piety. That's reverence. A desire to be God-like. Holiness refers to seriousness, soberness, respectfulness. Reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Just to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And then lastly, in Mark chapter 12, the words of Jesus. Jesus had a way of summarizing all this complexity, making it so simple. He says in verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second command or the second greatest command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Those of you who would consider yourself in the younger category, and I'll let you categorize yourself wherever you would like to categorize yourself, but those of you who are in the younger category, God invites us to live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and holiness. Sometimes life is very uneventful, Those of us who are a little bit younger are always looking for the next big thing, but I'm learning and my wife and I are learning that life is filled with just many, many days of just getting up, having breakfast, going to work, raising kids, getting the kids to school, getting the kids' homework done, making sure all lunches are packed and dishes are done, catching a few minutes of Netflix, going to bed and getting up and doing it all over again. Really, that just seems to be life. It's often uneventful. It's often very, very simple. 
But God says in all of that, be godly, be holy. For those of you who've put yourself in the older category, maybe you've lost heart because you fixed your eyes on a political system, or maybe you've just lost heart because you've seen candidate after candidate make promises about a new world, about change that never ultimately happens. Or maybe you've grown a bit cynical because you long for the good old days. And the older I get, and I'm not that old yet, I can understand why. But could I ask you who are part of the older generation to please be very, very careful about being so cynical and complaining and grumbling about the state of the world. You say, Pastor Matt, why? Well, the answer is simple, because you're scaring the children. You're scaring the children, right? We we need to remind these kids that yes, life is hard, sin is bad, but God is good and Jesus reigns. And with that attitude, we can show our family and friends what Jesus really looks like. We see it in the Gospels. We see it in the New Testament. And he calls us into this life of peace and holiness. Well, number four, what can we do finally to show, to thrive during a season of political unrest? Number four, recommit your life to spreading Jesus' good news above all other news. Recommit your life to spreading Jesus' good news above all other news. In verses 4 through 6, some have said this is a summary of the entire Bible. And if there is a summary of the entire Bible in a few sentences, this is it. Paul writes, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. When we're talking about all people, it's really two-pronged. There's two ideas about all people, and both are true. God desires all kinds of people to be saved. That's Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, Democrats and Republicans, Americans and Africans and Russians, and the 27,000 people groups that make up our planet, including the 13,000 people groups who have no regular access to the gospel. So when you pray like this for the salvation of all kinds of people, you pray in light of the heart of God who, who wants to save people of every tribe and nation of the world. When we pray for God to save all kinds of people, He means all kinds of people. But God also wants every person to be saved. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved in the end. That's universalism. The Bible is very clear that there are many who will not be saved. But the Bible makes it clear here and in 1 John 2, 2, that He is the propitiation for our sins And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you look at this verse, God says He wants all people to be saved. That means you have a need, I have a need. There's something we need to be saved from. What do we need to be saved from? 
Well, in other parts of the Bible, he tells us we need to be saved from our sin. We need to be saved from hell itself. And we need to be saved from the wrath of God that would come upon us for rejecting his son. We need to be saved and to come to a knowledge of what? The truth. I love what Jesus says recorded in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. We only come through Jesus Christ, for there's one God and one mediator. If you're taking notes, you can write beside mediator the word bridge. A mediator really is just a human bridge. I love the illustration of how Jesus' death on the cross bridged the gap between earth and heaven between sinfulness and righteousness. Just like an interstate bridge, a good bridge has to be rooted in both sides in order for it to work. And thankfully, Jesus is rooted not only in heaven, but also on earth. At being fully God, He chose to be fully man. And 2,000 years ago, He came and lived the life that you and I could never live to die the death that you and I could never die. Jesus as the perfect Lamb of God satisfied the wrath of God, the judgment of God. God Himself loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Please do not assume that you're on God's side of the bridge just because of the way you vote. Please don't assume that you're on God's side of the bridge just because of your political party. Don't assume that you're on God's side of the bridge just because of your opinions on things like abortion or gun control or education or economic issues or immigration or other social issues. All of those things have their place. But the Bible says repent and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. No political party can get you to heaven, but Jesus Christ can. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Over the last 10 weeks, online, Pastor Matt Garrison, our online pastor, tells me that we've had 13 people indicate that they've trusted Christ as Savior, either on TV or through our online ministry just in the last 10 weeks. I wanted to share two stories with you before we're done today. One is about someone who trusted Jesus downtown. Let me read this from Michelle Thompson, our director of city ministries. She said, Bible Center City Ministries has been conducting church services for the women at the Recovery Point, a long-term residential addiction recovery program, a block from the Maker Center. For the last three months, we've held services there every Sunday. At one of our services, a young woman, we'll call her Annie, prayed to accept Jesus' free gift of salvation and become a Jesus follower. One of our team members made sure Annie received a Bible, and we've all enjoyed loving her and, and introducing her to others from our church. Well, this past Sunday, she said, we moved the Recovery Point Church service to the Maker Center because of weather. And after the service, several of us stayed and were talking to Annie. She was expressing fear that she's not going to be able to continue in the program there at the center because she's unable to do the assigned homework. 
After talking with her further, we realize that she can't read. Additionally, her eyesight is so poor that she can't see the pages in the Bible that we'd given her. So our team sprang into action. And Annie is scheduled to begin reading lessons with a Bible Center member who is a reading specialist by vocation. And in a really sweet display of God's goodness, we discovered that the tutor can only help her at 4 o'clock in the afternoons. Come to find out, Annie's only available time every day is from 4 to 6 p.m. God is so good. We've arranged for Annie to see an eye doctor here in our church. The doctor also attends Bible Center and has volunteered to see Annie and provide her with glasses at no charge. That's what we're talking about. That news is better than anything we're going to see on the paper the day after Election Day. Also love the story from Pastor Steve, our children's pastor. He, he writes this. He said, throughout this year, there's a boy, a little boy named Noah, who's been searching and looking and taking his first steps in his relationship with God. He's, he's often asked questions and wondered about asking Jesus to be his Savior. So one Sunday, about a month ago, Noah approached me and he said, Mr. Steve, I need to talk to you after base camp. That's what we call our kids area. I said, okay, do you want to talk now? He said, no, after base camp will be just fine. So he walked in, took his seat, and sat down. We went through the morning as usual where, his, where parents arrived and dropped off their children. But shortly after that, I felt a tug on my shirt. And little Noah asked if we could go ahead and talk. He was ready. I gave a little chuckle and asked what he was ready to do. He said, I'm ready to pray that special prayer where you ask Jesus to be your Savior. What a special moment. A child who knew he needed to ask Jesus as his Savior had a plan and thought about how everything was going to happen. We talked through what it meant to ask Jesus to be your Savior. And in the plainest way, he said this, Mr. Steve, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to forgive me and to come into my life and be my Savior. After sharing a few verses, he said, I'm ready to pray and that God will save me. Immediately after asking Jesus to save him, he looked at me and he said, Mr. Steve, I have one more thing to do. I need to get baptized. And I'm encouraged to say that last weekend, he was baptized in the swimming pool behind his house by none other than Pastor Steve. I'm so grateful that we can have a say in what happens in the world. I'm grateful that we as Christians can be salt and light in the world of politics. Hey, let's remember to, to, to pray Let's remember to thank God. Let's remember to model the life of Jesus. Let's remember to spread the gospel. You say, why would we do all of those things? The answer is so simple. No matter who becomes president, Jesus will always be king. Let's remember that today and go in the strength of the Spirit. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.